and I have um, I, a couple of my siblings, you know, they got two artificial knees, at least an artificial hip. Uh, we're, 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 we're bonding with the technology, you know, in, in highly intimate ways. And, you know, what can happen now with things that come in and control your hearts. And this, you know, you were talking about the biomedical technologies coming up um, in this one medical school I've worked with recently. Uh, it's something like approaching 35% of the faculty at this medical school are from the bioengineering school. They're not physicians because there's such an interest in the medical students of how do we start to, you know, wire non-human, non-organic stuff into the human body to, you know, create a better, uh, a better life. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not interviews with amazing people who are making the world a different place. We are sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. To learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business, visit netsuite.com forward slash different today. On this episode, we hang out with one of my absolute favorite people. He's a technology thought leader, a communications guru. Uh, he spent uh, many decades as a journalist and editor in the business technology world. Uh, we've got the host of Cloud Wars podcast or the Cloud Wars live podcast, my buddy, Bob Evans. And in addition to all of that, Bob is a powerful example of a couple of things that I think are really important, maybe even more so today than ever. The first is how to be yourself in business. Bob is an incredibly unique guy on many dimensions, and he doesn't hold back. He's very playful, and he doesn't fit into any mold. And frankly, I think that's a big part of why he's had such a legendary career. As a matter of fact, he was the head um, editorial chief at Information Week, and he was the senior executive responsible for communications at Oracle working directly for Larry Ellison. He's also a great example of superstar executives that are leaving the corporate world to go out on their own. And as you may have seen, my buddy Eddie Yoon and I just wrote an article uh, for the Harvard Business Review about this exact topic. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, Bob and I have a fun, playful conversation. We talk about everything from movies to why being direct is such a virtue, the downside of quote-unquote judgment-free zones, <laughs> how humans are integrating technology into their bodies, and a whole lot more. Go to lockhead.com for more information on Bob's impressive background and for the show notes and key takeaways from this episode. Now, hey-ho, let's go. So, Chris, the two movies and I, I want to mention to you. So, there's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I suspect that is one you uh, would call a favorite or very yeah, familiar I mean, with. I, you know, I, I don't know that I'd be in a hurry to watch it, right? Because it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think we yes, live... I don't know. We we my my wife doesn't like watching anything that's heavy, and I also yeah. think we live in a time where you can turn the news on and be so freaked out um, yeah. that watching shit that further freaks you out. So anyway, I don't watch as much <laughs> of that kind of stuff as I used yeah. to. For those two reasons. But that said, yeah, I bet you I've probably seen it half a dozen times. And yeah, yeah, and I I want to say. Is it possible we had to read it in school? Because I, I want to yeah. say I, I read, I'm almost positive I read it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I uh, remember reading, it's Nurse Ratchet, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I, I read Ratchet. the book and this, it's possible we would have read, imagine telling kids you had to read that in school today. There's no way they'd read that in school, is there? Or would they? Well, I think it goes back to some of what you were talking about. We're also worried about, you know, spooking the little the little uh, darlings that, you know, don't ask them to read something that pushes them out of a fairly narrow and absurd comfort zone, which is... I mean, it's a heavy book. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, the, you, some people say, well, it, you know, you shouldn't give people anxiety about going to see a nurse or a doctor. Nurse Ratchet has harmed the health. I oh, get lost, you know. But Chris, you know, there's so many great scenes in there. Like when Chief goes, ah, juicy fruit. Then, you know, he he lets it out that he can talk. But um, <laughs> there's the one scene, right, where Jack Nicholson goes and he tries to pick up the giant marble or granite water fountain in the middle of the room. And it's got away half a ton. He can't pick it up. And he's there straining and roaring and everybody's watching him. And, you know, he finally stands up and then, you know, they start getting on like, oh, you couldn't do it. And he says to him, yeah, well, at least I tried. And yeah. um, then another movie, and it, I think it sort of is in that same, mm, a little bit heavy thing, Cool Hand Luke. Oh, yeah, you I know, love that movie. Yeah, and again, so many iconic, just unforgettable scenes in there. But there's and the really one... great cinematography, if I remember yeah. right. Right? The way the sky yeah. looks and yeah. Everything. You know, they, they don't they don't try to um make that Quonset hut that those guys lived in, you know, either better or worse than it was. And they're out on the road gang and the, the and mirrored how, sunglasses. Who could ever forget the car wash scene? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> holy cow. When you're a young guy and you yeah. see that car wash scene, holy shit, that's a car wash scene right there. Probably greatest car wash scene ever, wouldn't you say? And greatest scene. And then uh, the George Kennedy line where he says, Loud, he said, if you're going to strike me blind, please don't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how could I forget? <laughs> yeah, my, my sentiments exactly. Yes. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure she didn't know what she was doing there. It was just a, all a coincidence. But Yes, exactly. Chris, you know, there's a one scene in there. So uh, Luke and the George Kennedy guy uh, have their big boxing match, and George Kennedy almost kills him, and he keeps getting up. And George Kennedy finally is feeling sorry for him, and, you know, Paul Newman's eyes are swollen shut, and his lips are split, and George Kennedy picks him up and he whispers in his ear, he said, just stay down, just stay down. And Luke says, you're going to have to kill me. So later on, they're playing cards and uh, playing poker and Luke just bluffs the shit out of everybody and wins a huge pot. George Kennedy picks the cards up and Luke has nothing. You know, he's got a bunch of scrap in his hand. And he said, man, he said, you didn't have nothing. And that's when Luke says, yeah, well, sometimes nothing's a mighty cool hand. And there's the name Cool Hand Luke. And he had, so the two things, one, in the fight, he says, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not going to stay down. And then in the card game, when he says nothing's a mighty cool hand, but he didn't have anything in cards, what he had was in his heart. And I thought that the the combination of those two things, you're going to have to kill me. And, you know, it's not the stuff around you. It's who yeah. you are and how you play yourself, not just you play the cards. And then the Jack Nicholson thing is saying, yeah, well, at least I tried. Um, yeah. 
there is so much, and going back to some of what you said, we are in a time now when so much of our life is, you know, restricted. We let fear shrink our world. We let, you know, fear crush our dreams. We let uh, our concerns about what somebody else might think. And now these external forces of you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't look at this, you can't think this way. You've got to watch this. And, you know, looking at some of those Google tapes and watching, you know, that scene from almost two years ago, you know, this, this uh, collective thinking and uh, the sort of fixed Borg mind like thing there that it's just, it's, it's very weird. But I think even though some of those movies are, these two movies are really heavy. Uh, I think it's good to go back and look at some of those things and, and, and realize we get to parts of where we are today by letting it happen. You know, decline is a choice. And when we let forces beyond ourselves close the walls in on, when we let them do that to us, Bad things, you know, that, that anyway, I think that leads to uh, a much poorer life, uh, much less interesting life, and much less happy life. Wow, Bob, that was beautiful, man. Wow. I you, come had some, on. you had some stuff to share. Well, when I have the honor of being invited back onto one of the world's top podcast shows, I think, <laughs> okay, you know, you can't just go on in, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, it's amazing to me, too. You pick, you know, some movies that I absolutely love, right? Classics, of course, but movies that I really um, uh, love. So that's kind of an interesting, an interesting point. And then some great scenes. Yeah. Right. Um, well, part of the uh, part of the, the guest's job is to make the host look good. I come in here and talk about movies you don't care about. You're going to be dozing, you know plucking well, Gertrude's feathers. and <laughs> When you first started to talk about movies, I thought to myself, oh, shit, he's probably going to talk about current movies, and I don't know any current <laughs> movies. <laughs> so, like, what am I going to do here? Because, like, if he brings up the new... I, I don't even know who the people are. He, like, I don't even know who any of them are. Like, the newest person I know is, like, um, maybe Adele. Like, I, you know, like, I don't... And actors and shit, I don't know any, like... You know, yeah. a couple of the big names, of course, and they're really great actors. I mean, I don't know who Tom Hanks is and, you know, uh, Meryl Streep and shit. But, like, if you name some 30-year-old actor who's hot right now. Uh, well, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, no, n no, no idea. <laughs> Chris, can I mention one other thing that goes in with this? And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you come out of the world that uh, both you and I have spent a big chunk of our professional lives in, like the tech business, but it could be any business. But, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times, what was it, six, seven years ago when I left the media business and I wanted to jump into the tech industry and work inside the tech industry. I couldn't tell you the number of people, but it's vast numbers of people that would say, oh, you went over to the dark side. And I, I, I know what that means. And again, you know, I, I don't get mad or upset, by it, but I just went, why do they think that way? And I remember a couple of times when I'd have a conversation with somebody, I'd say, why do you look at it that way? He said, well, well, you've gone over to, you know, the, the dishonest side. I said, really? So you as a reporter, you're the honest guy, right? Now I'm the dishonest guy, but who do you want to come to for information? Me. 
you know, who has all the information that you want? Well, it's these tech companies and their customers. So why is this the dark side? I think that I jumped into the, you know, bright, brilliantly lit yeah, place coming this? out the, of the dark place. One of the jewels of humanity, the information technology industry. I mean, come on. <laughs> People need to give their head a shake, right? And there's all this bitching about whatever it is about some reason to bitch about technology and of course there's plenty of reasons to bitch about technology but and it's a very big fucking but the standard of living on planet earth has never been higher period full stop end of discussion yeah. it's not a discussion right yeah. and i'm not saying technology is solely the reason for that of course it's not human beings have a ton to do with it as well but uh, information technology and biotechnology and medical technology and 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 energy technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Innovation overall has massively increased the well-being of human beings and the lifespan of human beings and the quality of life of human beings around the world. And there's no fucking denying that. And so to get back to your point, um, I don't know why um, technology companies or any companies, frankly, would be considered guilty bef uh, and not innocent. Okay, now look, you want to say the profit motive is an evil thing? Well, we can have a discussion about that if you want, but don't don't tell me I'm a bad person because I'm an entrepreneurial capitalist. Because what yeah. entrepreneurial capitalists do <laughs> is they make money by creating value as defined by solving a problem that somebody's willing to pay them to solve. And if you do that, the assumption is you're doing a fucking good thing for fucking somebody, so fucking A. Now, I'm not saying there aren't criminals and bad people in business. Of course there are. But for the most part, just like the rest of the world, those are outliers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> now, you think about what has happened in the last 40, 50 years and all those fields you mentioned, and then you go off into things like <clears throat> this video, I, I remember a, a friend of mine from uh, the medical school at the University of Pittsburgh sent this to me, and it was a, a little short video, but there was a, a medical experiment, Chris, involving a monkey, and uh, the the monkey was, I, I forget what the illness was, but it was, uh, it didn't have use of one of its arms. And they were able to, you know, they had a little metal cap on it, and it through stimulating the monkey's brain through electrical currents, the monkey was able to reach out and start to manipulate its arm, which had never been able to move before. So you think about people, they haven't been able to see, they haven't been able to hear, they never saw their parents, they didn't see, you know, the colors in the world or be able to use it. And these advances in technology, they're not just cool in, of themselves, right? Like what you're saying, they, they touch people in ways that are unimaginable. Well, yeah, I mean, this field of neuroplasticity and everything around it, I mean, it's incredible, right? We can literally wake up parts of our brain. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we had Dr. Darryl, uh, Darryl Treffert on, and, uh -huh. um, you know, he's considered the world leader in autism and savantism and genius. And he was the consultant on Rain Man because they wanted to uh -huh. get it right. That's yep. kind of the level that he, he plays at. And um, he says what they're trying to do, particularly in somebody who's severe on the spectrum of autism, is they're trying to find their, he calls them island islands of intactness. Uh -huh. And then <clears throat> grow it and nurture it and love it and support it 
And there's a breakthrough that happens with people who have autism when, when you can find that place and then from there allow them to come out. And part of what's going on is refiring parts of their brains. Yeah. Yeah. And so we can all do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, uh, extraordinary um, what, you, what you're describing. This. So I, I, I feel sorry for, I feel angry at, but I also sort of feel sorry for some people who get trapped into these, whatever they are, elect, you know, mindsets about, well, journalism is all wonderful and the business people is the dark side and this and that. And it, it, again, Chris, I just think it's one of those things that, there, there needs to be some severe shaking of some people, as you said, you know, shake their brain up a little because what it does, and this is, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about today was this construction of walls or barriers or limitations. And I just think that more and more we do that, right? Because there, there are some legitimate reasons for that, right? Is, you know, somebody gets to be older, well, maybe you shouldn't run marathon. Maybe you got, you know, got to stop doing certain physical activities or moderate them a little bit. There's a point at which you got to get glasses, all this stuff. I, I get that. Maybe but, day drinking six times a week is not what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Which day do you skip? <laughs> you know, I take the Lord's day off. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise there. So um, I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I always tried to talk about with my kids, which was, you know, the world's, the world's a big place. And, you know, you, you find the parts of it that you really enjoy and go after them, but don't ever let anybody talk you, talk that down or talk you out of it or, you know, all those things about, yeah. well, you shouldn't do this. You can't do that. Nobody will believe you. Nobody will trust you. God, that's limiting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The other one, and I don't know why I'm connecting this one in my head, you know, but I am, is um, I, I guess it's going to sound trite as shit, but um, generally try to treat people well, even when you're supposed, supposedly, or as they say now, supposedly, you know that, <laughs> yes. you know that people say supposedly. <laughs> so I think, I think within 15 years, so, It'll just be supposedly we won't even remember <laughs> what it once was. Right. Um, uh, but anyway, with people who are supposedly your adversaries, um, because there's an interesting thing. I was talking to a few people about this in Silicon Valley where, you know, the ecosystem is so tight that your competitor today is the uh, is the venture capitalist who invests in your business 10 years from now. Yeah. Right. And uh, I have this relationship with Bruce Cleveland, and he was the head of products and marketing at Siebel when I was at Vantive. And the truth is, he literally destroyed my self-worth and my net worth at the same time, <laughs> you know, and we've become friends, and it's great. And recently, I was in this meeting, and uh, I got introduced to this gal who today is in an um, uh, investor relations role. And uh, she introduced herself to me. I said, hello. And da, da, da. Anyway, uh, when there was a break in the meeting, it was an all-day meeting I was at. She came up to me and she, she introduced herself with her full name. Well, long story way longer, this gal was an, an analyst who covered Mercury uh, back in the day, as we say. Yeah, yeah. And um, she, let's say, had some adversarial moments with our <laughs> CFO. 
And so she sort of came to, to out herself, say, hey, look, it's me. And and you could sort of see the armor come up. I yeah. she fully expected I was yeah. going to smash her. And I said, the first thing I said to her was, was I horrible to you back then? Did I do anything that I need to be apologizing for right now? <laughs> to which, by the way, she said no. Uh, and then she sort of said, you know, are you mad at me? And I said, no, you were doing your job. Yeah. And, you know, we had a grumpy CFO who could get adversarial. Um, so that's not necessarily a shock. And were you doing things that I liked? No, not always. Did it piss me off? Yes, sometimes. But you're an analyst. You're supposed to dig. You're supposed to, you know, take positions on things. And, you know, to your point, management's not always going to like them. Anyway, long story, way longer. It turns out, I guess I didn't treat her badly at all. And she remembers that. And I don't harbor anything towards her. She was doing her job. And so, and also, by the way, that was fucking 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. How much... Uh, <clears throat> how much storage space do you have in your heart for <clears throat> anger and vindictiveness and <clears throat> pettiness? Well, I, I have a bunch. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, maybe more, more than I should or more than most, but, uh, cause uh, anger is a thing I, 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 let me say relate to, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. Um, but to your point, it's like, Really, I, you know, she she didn't like it when somebody does something that you remember for a long time because it was truly, in your opinion, out of integrity or you know, very assholey behavior or whatever it was. That it's you know, if you can remember why you're mad, then I think at least for me, I'm legit in my anger towards you. <laughs> um, you know, if, if yeah. you don't really remember, it's like, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I remember you pissed me off, but I don't remember her ever crossing a line. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a very yeah. different thing. There was a, <clears throat> there was a guy <clears throat> today I was trying to deal with for uh, over about five weeks. You know, I had, we had agreed to do some about five weeks ago. I never heard from him. I never heard from him. <clears throat> I sent a note to somebody else in his company and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I just can't do this because I've been getting a silent treatment from so-and-so for five weeks. And so this other person calls my original contact who gets in touch with me like, Oh, and he had this stuff. And I said, look, it's okay. I'm not mad, but I have no interest in doing business with you because clearly you have no interest in doing business with me. I'm not upset. And he, he, his, his comment was, it's unfortunate that you have that impression. <clears throat> and Chris, I wanted to say, okay, you know, we can frame it that way, but I don't have an impression. I have facts, right? We were supposed to do something. Five weeks went by. You ignored messages from me. Okay, that's fine. You don't want to do it, but don't, you know, fluff this thing up. Yeah. You know, I just have this sort of screwed up view of the world that something that was supposed to take a couple of days, you know, was five weeks and you never responded. So it, it, it's funny. We play these games and I think it's almost like when you, somebody starts to tell lies, you have to think, ever, now, what did I say to who and who said what to whom and, and tracking those lies. It's got to be exhausting. So I'm with yeah. you, brother. Let's, you know, say what you need to say. Say what you need to say. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing is, so uh, my, my friend and mentor, Bix Bixen, has now taught me a language uh, or a way to describe this to people that I think makes it easier for them to be that way were they not m more prone to it like uh -huh. you and I are, shall uh -huh. I say. 
And so the way Bix describes it is he says there's two conversations that happen. There the fore, there's the foreground conversation. That's the one that happens in the meeting and happens when everyone's around or happens at, over the dinner table with the whole family or on the double date with you, Wendy, and whoever the fuck you're out with. There's that conversation. And then there's the background conversation, which is you and Wendy in the car on the way home or, or you know, over a beer after the big meeting or over text at the you know during the meeting whatever yeah. it is right so there's a foreground conversation and there's a background conversation and of course um when asked you know which is the authentic conversation everybody says the same thing and so bix then asks the question can we agree to have the background conversation in the foreground <laughs> yeah just let's just get to it and i think that's a gentle way of doing it isn't it or at least gentler than what i would say <laughs> yeah slap now let's talk yeah um chris I, I i love that because you know and you can imagine some of the people in the room the head snap i was like wait a minute what you know i i i'm being fully honest with you it's like okay no you're not uh, yeah you're right. You know that. It, it, otherwise, it's, it gets to be a waste of time here. So, um, there's a nonprofit board that I'm on. I joined a, about six months ago, and the so, terrific... so you just wanted to torture yourself. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Yes. Penance. <laughs> and look, I love nonprofits, but nonprofit. Let, let me say it for this. I'll speak for myself. I'm not the person you want on the board of your nonprofit. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm I'm uh, taking on that persona there. And uh, you know, one of the things I said was, you know, there there's as we've started to talk about more substantive issues. There's a couple of people who say like, well, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, or I really hesitate to bring this up, and I don't want to offend anybody. And it's like, oh my God, we just say what you think. There, otherwise, we're taking this board responsibility for you know, a, a very viable nonprofit and something that's the deserves our full effort and energy. And we're giving it 5% of what we have. And it's like, you know, and even worse than that. And afterwards we leave the meeting and everybody talks about what an asshole everybody else is. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why I never leave the meetings. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I can't be talked about. So, Hey, um, you know, first I want to ask in a second, uh, if you would be willing to talk a little bit more about your mentor, because two things, one, somebody that you would feel sort of is capable of being your mentor. That's pretty interesting. And then somebody who is actually able to fill that role. So I, I do want to come back to that, but let me, Chris, just swing around on something here a little bit. And, you know, you're an entrepreneur. Think, in ways that, you know, lots of other people don't think. I, I think some of the stuff we were talking about before and this need for more directness, more honesty, and also this sense of, I, you know, this is how I feel and I'm not going to just sort of pussyfoot all around it. Okay. So were you ever, did you ever do an outward bound? No, but I've done things like that. Things like, man, yeah. I tell you. You know, in a way, it's kind of so tried. It's like, oh, you know, boys' weekend and blah blah blah. That stuff. That's yeah. you push people out, out. Go put your ass on a mountain and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, and yeah. you know, so you're looking down, and that, you know, guy who's sort of been a dick, you know, for the last day and a half, he's holding that rope. That's you know got my fat ass. Uh, you know, it's between me and eternity. So, well, you better figure out a way to uh, 
somehow figure a way to trust or communicate or something like that. I think there's a huge opportunity now, especially with these kids could get to be 15, 16, 18 years old, and they've worn helmets to walk over to their friend's house. They have had oh, to come call on. You're and not check for the in. safety of young people? <laughs> right, right. I want Robert to kill Evans. all children. Yes. Yes. yes clearly. You know clearly. my theory about where this, this, this helicoptering started, right? Uh-uh. I think I can trace it. I can, there's one product that fucked us all. Uh-oh. And my memory is when this stuff really got going was the invention of the little plastic doohickey carbodingulator that you stick into the sock light socket (laughs) right because when you and i were kids that shit didn't exist and so what do we do stuck your finger in it you stuck your fucking finger in it you just did and it fucking hurt and maybe you tried if you're like me you tried it a second time to see if you could do it faster so that maybe it would just be cool and not hurt and it still hurt and you pretty much decided you were done with that right so now we invent the carbodingulator and kids don't do that anymore right and then before you know it we've nerfed the entire fucking world yes yeah we didn't have that no, no, no. We My didn't. grandfather and used to smoke his pipe in the car while I sat on the front seat <laughs> with no seat belt on and yeah. in a nineteen seventies Plymouth duster. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And sometimes he would put me on his lap and let me take the wheel. Yeah. Come on, that yeah. shit happened. Can you imagine yeah. smoking a pipe? No no seat belt <laughs> going down the you know the highway at 60 miles an hour 65 miles an hour 70 miles an hour whatever the fuck was right with a, a with v8 a, gas guzzling v8 yeah with i don't know well, how old would i have been four maybe i don't know yeah. small enough to sit on his lamp yeah Man, they, they'd be fighting now when you guys when he pulled the car over there'd be children's services trying to take them and the smoking police over here and the can you yeah, imagine the seatbelt police yeah oh, he'd be on be... death row and you you would have gone right into uh you know who knows what special you, you... services or something yes <laughs> lucky you so chris how about this you know the bix you mentioned a mentor yeah that would not be an easy spot to fill for uh somebody like you i would think and i say that in all the right ways <laughs> So is there a question there, Bob, or, or you just want me to tell you about Bix? Yeah, yeah. So who, how did this happen, and what is the value? What are the lessons and the insights and the guidance that he is able to provide you? How, how has he opened up your eyes to the point where you feel, I'm going to not just call this guy my mentor, he, he's earned the right to be my mentor. That, that can't have been an easy achievement. Uh, I, I mean, you'd have to ask him, um, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was open to it at the time. So the net of it is I met Bix when I was 18 and I took this personal development, uh, yeah. training class and, um, and he led it and, um, it was incredibly profound for me because not only were the things that he was teaching profound, um, but the way he is i had been told my entire fucking life that i'm too much and i still get told that yeah and this was the first time that i had seen somebody who was like over the top too much (laughs) like just 
so gigantic, right? Yeah. And absolutely fucking owned it and was funny and swore and was smart and was like, and and I and I thought, oh, I didn't know that was an option. Yeah. That, like you could just be yourself. Like you could be yeah. that outrageously great, right? Yeah. Um, and so I related to not just his the things that he was teaching us, but which I can get into. Um, but I also deeply related to. I think here's what here's the aha. This was true for me, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. I think it's true for most people, which is when you get to see someone that you see yourself in, mm -hmm. but down the line, so to speak, mm -hmm. that becomes a very powerful thing. And in the absence of that, um, it's very challenging for people to cover mass ground in their lives. They have to, ha they, we all have to be inspired by somebody. And the more that somebody in some way reminds us about something of ourselves, the more we think maybe we have a shot at achieving the kinds of things that person has achieved in our own right. I think that's a that's a pretty much a universal truth, best I can tell. Yeah. Krista, if I could just take a slightly different take on the last thing you said, that maybe, you know, then we can achieve some of the types of things that person has achieved. True. But I'd also say that even a, another take on that is I can then achieve the sorts of things that I am destined or that I want to achieve without ever knowing that I could achieve it. Right. So it's, it's For sure. a model is set up, but then it's up to the individual to go ahead and, you know, fill that space and achieve it. But it was great. When you first said you saw this guy and you realized it's okay, I can yeah. be this way. Yeah. And, right. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm perfect or better than others, but I can be the best me that's available. And that had to be pretty well. Wonderful and the big thing for me, age. frankly, is, I don't have to fucking fit in because Bix did not fucking fit in. It wasn't so much. I related to certain certain of his behaviors and manners and stuff, but like I didn't, I, I didn't try to become Bix. You know what I mean? The big teaching for me with him was, wow, you could be that fully expressed and yes. be that outrageous and that, you know, I use this word very much on purpose, that fucking different yeah, and that it would work. Right, because for me, when I when I turned the amps on eleven, it like you know it it didn't work. I, you know, sometimes it worked, but sometimes it really didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's uh, I, I think back to that first time I met you. you. Walked into the conference room, and within you know two or three minutes, I had heard a, a, a stunning array of swear words, combinations of things, body parts, bodily functions, this and that. And uh, I, as uh, we had a great conversation, I, I loved you from the second I met you. And when we were done, there was somebody, you know, a PR person, somebody walking out and said, oh, I'm sorry, I hope you weren't offended. And I said, offended? I said, geez, here's somebody who's actually able to just, he's willing to say what he thinks. I said, it was great. It was great. But too much of that stuff. And I think, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a Johnny OneNote here, but the, that that type of thing starts to set up the barriers. Don't step over this line. Don't say this. Don't think that way. Tone this down. Round off your corners. Why can't you be more like everybody else? And why do you always have to be the one who does this? On and on and on and on. And uh, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a terrible, terrible thing. It's, um, uh, Larry Ellison, Chris gave this, uh, I think he's given two commencement talks, one about 25 years ago at Carnegie Mellon and another one a couple of years ago at USC. 
And his big message to the USC graduates was, uh, he said, I know this from personal experience. He said, don't try to be the person that other people want you to be. Figure out who you want to be, block everything else out, and go be that person. And uh, it's when you can get to that, that thing of, you know, understanding fear and confront it and face up to it. And whether it's fear or unhappiness, whatever the thing is, but I think more and more these days, it's fear that we have. I won't fit in. I'll be misunderstood. They won't like me uh, you know, how, whatever it's couched in, it's just limiting and it's limiting. And you're probably one of the great examples of somebody, let me be who I am, fill the space that I'm in. And I'm going to be so happy, not just me, I'm going to make others around me happy, successful, excited, engaged, and so on like that. And that won't happen when we allow these external traps and, you know, electric dog fences to be put up around us. Amen. Hallelujah. And, you know, the other part of it that comes with it is a commitment on one hand to be fully expressed and be yourself and at the same time be responsible, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, if you being fully, like, <laughs> I read this story recently. Uh, there was some guy working out at some gym uh, naked. And um, the gym slogan was something about some mamby pamby thing about like everybody's cool here, do whatever you want, like no 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 judgment, like we're the gym, we're like don't 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 become don't come in here and be self conscious, you're okay here, kind of a place. I I don't know how they I can't remember now how they said it, but it was that was their that was their niche down strategy, okay. And so when the cops show up, the guys in naked in um, downward facing dog, if I remember correctly, <laughs> terrible position to be in naked. Um, and, uh, and the cops show up and he says, oh, I thought this was a judgment-free zone. A judgment-free zone. And so what's my point? Oh, my point is us. he was being himself. He was yeah. following his different. He fucking yeah. sure was, but hey man, you're naked by yourself doing yoga in the gym. Probably not going to score points with anybody. So, like, there's some line we're trying to find here is my point. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, you know, it's a it's a silly thing <clears throat> in some ways. So I'm, I'm not trying to make this a profound thing, but you would, uh, one of the things, and we've laughed about this is some, what do you call them, your yabba-dabba-ding-dong suits? Yeah, the super ding-dongs. Super, you know, where the, the lining of your suits was even more yes. wonderful and outrageous than the outside. And I just thought, so I sometimes would sort of point that out in public spaces and places because first, I of course wanted to needle you wherever I possibly could. But Make also, fun of my suits. No, I loved the suits, but it was also one of those things of saying, look, he's not, you know... <laughs> He's not getting fired because of this. People aren't going to stop listening to him because he wears a loud he suit. He did get even... fired a bunch, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll gloss over some of the facts, but uh, you know, don't, don't let the don't facts let... get in the way of a good story. Heck no, heck no. But um, but it, it's you know some of those little things. And I remember one of your events, you were talking about something, you cracked a couple jokes, and either people didn't get it, they weren't like it, and it was sort of there wasn't a lot of laughter as there usually is after your things. And you just looked at everybody and said, "Hey." I'm here for the whole week. So I'm going to keep plowing on. So find a way to enjoy it, fans. And, I, and that was just the right thing because I think 
people were expecting to be bored because so often at events like that they are. You were, you were coming, you were zigging, and they expected zag. So uh, it, it's it is one of those things that I think if you talk about you know a high purpose, highly what do you what term you using expressed life is yes that responsibility has to fit in but the first responsibility i think is to yourself who am i what do i want to be where do i want to go and then when i understand that then i can set up the appropriate responsibility so i'm not doing the what is it naked dog down in the gym when the police arrive yeah exactly and you know the interesting point about that my friend the legendary designer um john bielenberg makes a point when he's trying to teach people to think in in super creative ways he calls it thinking wrong Mm-hmm. So whatever the topic is, you say, okay, well, what would most smart people do uh, uh, around topic A? You know, he, he, the example he uses is when he does workshops sometimes is is make a bicycle. Mm-hmm. So if somebody tasked you and I with making a bicycle, we would try to make the best bicycle we could figure out how to make. That's the human inclination, right? And so his instruction is make any bicycle you want, do absolutely anything you want, but there's one condition. It can't be rideable. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's thinking wrong and the, the reason for it is the minute you take the rideable constraint away so to speak and, and it, it, you make it silly people get very silly and he said you can always take something that's crazy and dial it down but it's hard to take something that's incremental and dial it up yeah um, anyway yes. so that that I, that provides me with a lot of comfort because <laughs> i have to get dialed down fairly <laughs> regularly <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I hope not too much. I hope not too much. Chris, there's a, uh, that, you know, design wrong. Um, there's an architect. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. He's a relatively young guy. I believe he's uh, uh, Danish. I think his first name is Bjark, but he's built some stunning buildings in Manhattan and some other things around the world. They wanted to build uh, in Stockholm, I think, they had to build a new uh, garbage recycling plant somewhere in or near the city. <clears throat> they asked him to do it. He said, okay, we're going to do this. And the design was it's a public park with a ski slope, and inside is the recycling plant. And I heard him talk once. I went up just chatting with him a little bit afterward. And he said, you know, the real key is, he said, some of these problems, he said, we look to make them easy. And he said, that's when you get sloppy, boring, average, mundane solutions. He said, I always try to go in with my team and we try to make it as hard as humanly possible. He said, because that is when you get your creativity pushed out to places we don't normally go. And uh, yeah, it is totally counterintuitive to how many of us go about thinking things and we try well, isn't to, that the old uh let me get this right necessity is the mother of invention is that how the saying goes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the goods the what is it perfects the enemy of the good or you know some of these bromides you know gotta look my, at this my wife like, just bought this thing you want to hear a crazy story <laughs> so <laughs> so she goes to these junk fests you know where they sell uh-huh. junk you know, but like high-end ding-dong junk, you know, because uh-huh. that's she's into that stuff. What are the, uh, antiques? That's it, <laughs> antiques. <laughs> so fucking terrible. That's a French word. Yes, uh, c'est, c'est tellement antique. Um, anyway, so she goes to this thing uh, a couple weekends ago, and this is what she buys: a Turkish device that is made out of wood 
and is fucking heavy as shit. And it's about <laughs> six feet long, and it looks sort of like a, a wooden sled. Uh-huh. And into the bottom of it, the bottom third of it, which is sort of, it's a, a bit of a wedge shape, so uh -huh. it comes out at the top um, slightly. But anyway, uh, are these carvings with um, uh, fucking stones etched into it, like many, many stones, and they're sharp as shit. <laughs> so what is this thing? It's, it's, it's an early, she couldn't, they don't know exactly what year, but it's an early farming tool. They would drag this thing behind a horse wow. and this would, this, this was how they would start to, the harvest of, of wheat. And it's, it's one of the first pieces of technology wow. known to man for uh, wheat harvesting. And because it's built like a sled type thing, there's literally somebody on top of it grabbing Right and so anyway, uh, and there's there's pictures of this shit online. There's paintings of people doing this stuff, and so you know you, you look at it and you just go, well, um, when you when you get to a place that says hand picking wheat sucks, <laughs> there has got to be a better way, right? And so you do what you can, and they they literally turn these rocks into like blades. They sharpened the rocks and then they fashioned yeah. the holes in the wood for each yeah. of the rocks. It's yeah. it's trippy. Yeah, you got a lot of people to feed and maybe not a uh, loving, benevolent uh, boss, ruler, king, you know, over there uh, who's who's threatened some pretty severe punishment if you don't get the the weed in on time. For yeah, that uh, that inspires some some pretty cool innovation and. Now I've I've been thinking about this recently, so you know everybody's worried about the, you know, AI is going to take over and the machines are going to take over and oh, they're yeah. going to kill us and or or, or we're going to merge with the machines and we're going to there's going to be some weird space alien <laughs> mutation human mutation that's merged with machines and all this stuff. Here's the aha. The aha is. When human beings invent the first tool, that happened. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. And so, and now, of course, it's radical because we all have iPhones and smartphones. And that thing might as well be attached to us. Like, and so, <laughs> yeah. like, we are already <clears throat> integrated with the machines. And just like watch, watch people walk across a street with moving cars on their iPhone to understand <laughs> we are already integrated with the machines, right? Yeah. But the truth is the first tool, right? The, the first X, the first time a human uses a rock to try to do whatever it is, right? That started the cycle. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's it's been around a while, man. Um, Chris, you know, uh, this thing i think my first year in college at philosophy class and like you know tens of millions of other people heard about the philosopher's hammer you know so you you got this hammer and you're pounding away on something and the head flies off so you replace the head well is it the same hammer uh you know and and then the handle breaks and you replace the handle is the same hammer so getting all that stuff but i have um i a couple of my siblings and they got two artificial knees, at least an artificial hip. Uh, we're, 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 we're bonding with the technology, you know, in, in highly intimate ways. And, you know, what can happen now with things that come in and control your hearts and this, you know, you were talking about the, 
biomedical technologies coming up. Um, in this one medical school I've worked with recently, uh, it's something like approaching 35% of the faculty at this medical school are from the bioengineering school. They're not physicians because there's such an interest in the medical students of how do we start to, you know, wire non-human, non-organic stuff into the human body to, you know, create a better, uh, a better life, better yeah. health. Well, and then I saw this on the news, I don't know, in the last six to nine months or so. Um, there's some, there's some technology now that companies are offering to their employees where they put a fucking chip in their hand and it's your access card. It's your, it's your PayPal account or your Apple pay so that you can go to the company, uh, cafeteria and just like wave your hand in front of a carbodingulator sensor and, <laughs> and, and you just buy your lunch and you can, and, and so like you go, what my company is going to put some kind of a chip in my body and they that like you got to be out of your mind <laughs> yeah. but this is what we're doing right <laughs> i thought when you first mentioned that when you said they put a chip in your hand i thought it's like said hey you know they they put this uh your 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 uh, employee badge in your hand but you mean they put it in your hand yeah so, they embed yes. it in your person <laughs> holy yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Sign no, it's in your that. ass. They just yeah. put it in you. Like they cut you open and they put this fucking thing in you. I don't know how they do it. I'm making that up. But it's in your body. I don't know how it gets there. Maybe they I, shove it up your nose. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Could could I, I I prefer to have it in the earlobe. Is that okay? Is that yeah culturally attuned? And then look, the 3D printing of limbs is a thing. Yeah. I forget who said this recently, but I like it. It's like, hey, just so you know, if you're not paying attention, the future's here already. <laughs> <laughs> who was it? I think that was um, uh, the guy, uh, William Gibson. And he wrote uh, Neuromancer. And I, yeah, I think he said the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, I, I like I that one. The other one I really like in this regard is um, Yogi Berra. It's really hard to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> hey, that, <laughs> well, right? Who's going to argue with that? Nobody. Who's argue with you that? can't not going to argue with Yogi. No way, especially with a name like that. How how could you? Oh, Do you know Chris? That ever. guy also um, he spent three years in the military, I think, uh, in Korea, and uh, you know he what do you have? nine, 10 World Series rings, but he took these three years off to go do that. Uh, remarkable people, remarkable people. And yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's a great, great pleasure. Thank you very much for letting me come back and, uh, and bask in your brilliance and, and offer up a couple theories here and there. I learn a lot and I get inspired. And I, thank you really sharing that story about the self-expression. And it's okay. It's okay to be too much yeah well maybe too much is what we need <laughs> sometimes because <laughs> it's never enough <laughs> yeah and one of my favorite quotes i uh, you know what i love i love that uh when i get quotes wrong people email me about it like i get all these emails <laughs> two weeks. but i think it was may west who said too much of a good thing can be wonderful <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, All right, I Senator remember, Evans. Chris, 
is a great pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, hang in there. Say hi to Carrie and you too, uh, brother. Say hi to Wendy. And uh, hey, let's do. come back sooner. We shouldn't. It shouldn't be every year and a half. It should be way more often than that. I, I will if you will. <laughs> Who could ask for more? And if it's okay, we'll get you slotted in on the uh, Cloud Wars live. Oh, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. I, uh, you're, um, you're one of my favorite people to follow. Uh, your stuff is really, really good. Uh, and, and you know, let me just say one other thing. Do you have a sec before I let you go? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, we had this guy on named Isaac Morehouse, and he's the founder of this outfit called Praxis. And they are essentially a college alternative. They're a year-long program, mostly for young people, and they call themselves a new category called the Career Launch Service. And it's sort of half book work, so to speak, and half apprentice work. So it, you come out with a skill and you've apprenticed somewhere, and they're primarily targeted for young people who want to work in non-engineering jobs in startups. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of where they're pointed. Um, anyway, long story longer, he has this fascinating point of view, which is... Um, be your own credential. Yeah. And you're a guy who used to write for very big damn deal brands. And, um, and that, that mattered then, right? You had a, a position in the industry because at the time you were the chief ding dong at information week. Right. And that meant something. Here's the interesting thing. And I'm not saying there aren't media brands that are, that are valuable. I'm not that stupid, but, um, we don't need them. You know, he says, be your own credential and your shit stands out because it's great shit. Not because you're the chief editorial ding dong at information week or I don't know where, right. In, in the old days. Right. And so, um, it's like, um, isn't it Dan rather who's doing this now or he just is sort of doing his commentary on his own. I think it's Dan Rather. And he's, you know, you can't even remember anymore which which network he was associated with. He's just Dan Rather, right? And so you're sort of like that. You're you're your own credential. The 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 quality of your thinking um comes across. You're you are doing a great niche down strategy. You're trying to own a very particular conversation around who's winning in the cloud. So very tight niche. And you're positioning yourself to dominate the niche. And so you're just executing that strategy really well. And the coolest thing about all of that is we live at a time where we get to do that. You're a media company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anybody who can, you know, think can go do that. You know, assuming they want to do, go do that. I don't know that everybody has to do that. But you have. You've reinvented yourself for, I don't know, I don't know how many times you'd consider it, but multiple times, right? Yeah. 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 Well, Chris, thanks. That's very great. I'll tell you something, you know, just related to that because uh, the, the whole entrepreneurial side. So, you know, a couple of years ago when I knew I was going to be leaving Oracle and start my own thing, I was putting together some plans about, okay, well, what will this, what will this new business do? And I put a ton of thought into it, you know, after I left Oracle, spent several weeks getting this refined and all that. And it's fun going back and looking at the stuff I created because it was an extremely worthwhile exercise to go through all this. But in fact, 
all these plans I had and I'd have this service and this service and this. I've done none of that. You know, it was, it, it had yeah. zero bearing on what it did, <laughs> but the discipline of thinking about it and getting engaged and firing that stuff up and saying, okay, here's the tool set and here's how I want to look at stuff. And here's what I'm going to go do and figure out. It, I think prepared me to go in and say, I don't know exactly what this is going to be like, but whatever comes up, I'm going to be ready for that. So yeah. um, I, it was funny. And if, if we allow those things like, well, this was my plan and I, I made the plan, so I got to stick to the plan, that would have been crushing for me. So I think part of it was having the confidence and the courage to go and say, no, I'm gonna, I made the plan, but the plan will be a guide until the first shot's fired. And then all the plans get thrown out the window and you got to deal with reality. And then it's yeah. like, you know, anybody coming out and you've got to use your brains, your experience and other stuff and see an opportunity and keep getting out of this box of, uh, well, so-and-so's doing this over here. Maybe I should do that. Um, I, I, I have been so lucky and, uh, you know, some of the people I've gotten to work with, it's still a fun business. And, but more and more, man, uh, you know, these companies that get so caught up in the stuff they make instead of the value that they could offer. It's uh, that is a, I think that's an enduring human problem. And uh, thank goodness it's going to be around for at least a few more years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, as they say in Australia, good on (laughs) you. Very good. Thank you, Senator Evans. Christopher, always a pleasure. Thanks a million. We'll talk soon, brother. See you, my friend. Bye-bye. <laughs> Wasn't that a great one? Um, thanks again, Bob, for coming on. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Now, is it grow time for your business? Then it's time to check out netsuite.com different. NetSuite wants to help you master your growth. NetSuite's order management capabilities are world-class. They help you streamline your order processing, remove manual bottlenecks and prevent errors in establishing a smooth flow from uh, a sales quote all the way to fulfilling an order, issuing an invoice, and yes, getting paid. And who doesn't like to get paid? (laughs) NetSuite's order and billing management capabilities integrate your sales, finance, and fulfillment teams to improve your quote accuracy, eliminate billing errors, strengthen your revenue recognition, drive fulfillment, and efficiency, and make sure that your cash is always flowing in the right direction. Visit my friends at netsuite.com different today, and there you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry to talk about this and so much more. netsuite.com different. And if you want to communicate with us, uh, send an email to blackhole at lockhead.com. You can follow me on Twitter at lockhead. And just so you know, um, when you subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcast platforms, we don't know you're there. Uh, We don't know you're a subscriber. We get no data from those folks. And so the only way we can have a direct relationship, assuming you want to have one, (laughs) is if you go to Lockhead.com and you subscribe to our newsletter and we will keep you up to date with uh, all the good stuff we have going on here. All right. We would like to thank the amazing Cloud Wars Live podcast. This is Bob Evans' podcast. I love it. I've been a guest on the podcast. Uh, I'm hoping to go back. Um, It's awesome. If you're in the tech industry, if you're in business technology, wherever you get great podcasts, check out Cloud Wars Live. Niche Down, the number one bestseller written by Heather Clancy and myself. Check it out on Amazon.com. 
The amazing people at OneLifeFullyLived.org. This is the nonprofit that helps you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check us out. We're making a lot of uh, difference in the world. One, the number one, LifeFullyLived.org. Now, legendary entrepreneurs are reading GrowWire.com. This is the new place on the internet for stories of innovation, stories of growth, and great stories about uh, how smally entrepreneurs are kicking intergalactic butt. Check out GrowWire.com today. Now, um, is it time for some help? Are you feeling a little whelmed in an overly state? Uh, why not check out Bottleneck Virtual Assistance and uh, uh, look into the power of a virtual assistant? Uh, check out Bottleneck, all one word, dot online today. Now, are you in the B2B space? Um, did you realize that the first thing that happens in business today is somebody Googles your company? And normally the first thing they see is your website. And so your website is the first impression to the world. If you're in the B2B enterprise technology space and you're in the greater Silicon Valley area, you've got to get to know my friends at Atranet. Check out A-T-R-E dot N-E-T to turn your website into your best spokesperson. And a charity, nonprofit that I love, the Front Row Foundation. These folks uh, support people, often young people, who are facing a life-critical disease to uh, put together an extraordinary experience for them and make some memories and some moments that really matter. Check out frontrowfoundation.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. Make no mistake, if you care about what we do, if you get any value at all from any of these conversations, uh, we would love it. Just a little bit extra if you shared on social media this podcast. We must, we must, we must, we must remind you <laughs> that all rights do remain disturbed. This podcast is clearly produced in a studio that does contain nuts. Please teach technology leadership in the event of a water landing. This podcast can be used as a flotation device. Remember, only fart in an elevator with three or more people in it. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to the amazing music of Blue Rodeo. And uh, I want to say, hey, thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Doug Parker, CEO of American Airlines. Sorry, Dougie. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Till the next time we're together, follow your different.